And thanks be to God for his word. It's so great that we get to open up the word of God together this morning. And church, it's good to be with you. I enjoy gathering with you and worshiping God together. It always gives me great joy. So I pray that the Lord will continually stir up our hearts, that we will be more made in the likeness of Christ as we dive in and study our glorious little book, 1 John. So for the next three Sundays, we will wrap up our series in the book in this short letter of 1 John. So in a way of review, an overview of where we have been is this. So today we are about to dive into the final chapter of this 1 John. John had a certain agenda to write this letter to the churches in Ephesus, which is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey region. Uh, This letter is written around approximately 80, 95 to 100, 110, around that time. At that time, John is writing letter this to the church of Ephesus to encourage them for three things. First, remember who you are in Christ. The eternal God has become the incarnate son of God. And for all who believe in him, there is forgiveness. There is redemption in Christ alone. So hold fast to this glorious truth that Jesus Christ has come to dwell among men and saved us. And at the same time, don't be lured away by the false influencers in a church. You heard it from Pastor Bill a couple of Sundays ago that there are many false teachers who are trying to lure them away from holding fast to this glorious truth. So know your foundation of faith, who Jesus is, and hold fast to this teaching. And don't be lured away by false teachers. And lastly, follow God's command. And what is that God's command? Is to love him and love one another. You heard that from Jake last Sunday as we wrapped up our chapter 4. The foundation of our faith is in Christ alone. And hold fast to this truth and love one another as Christ has loved us. And that is the entire message of the book of 1 John. And today, the five verses that we just read encapture all of them. So what we are about to study is a review of everything, overview of everything. The foundation of everything that John has been talking about is in this verse. So some of you who said, oh, man, I missed the entire series. Well, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Hopefully today's message will help you understand what book of 1 John is all about. Uh, There are some debates among theologians, the Bible scholars, about what we are about to study really belongs to the previous section that Jake talked about last Sunday at the end of chapter 4 because in the middle of the verses that we read, it talks a lot about love. So, oh yeah, it belongs to the last section, but also some argue that, no, this is a new section because this section talks a lot about beginning and ends with the faith in God. So is this about love or faith? Answer is yes. To both. To John, faith and love are deeply interconnected. It cannot be separated from one or the other. And you will soon see that how love fuels faith that we are about to dive in. So for today, if I want to summarize the entire message in one sentence is this. For John, true faith leads to love for God and others. And the true love leads to obedience. 
That is the one singular message. True faith leads to love for God and others. And true love leads to obedience. Don't you want this kind of faith that can withstand all kinds of storms of life, church? Don't you want this kind of faith that are not bound by the circumstances? If you want that, then certainly I do. I hope and pray that the word of God will go forth and speak to your heart together. We will learn three things in today's passage. First, we will learn the nature of faith. The characteristic, the nature of faith. What is this faith all about? How is it different from the, how the world perceives? So first, we'll talk about the nature of faith. And second, we will talk about the faith that moves from duty to delight. Oftentimes, faith feels like, okay, just another thing I have to do. It feels like a duty. We just drag ourselves alone. But how can you make the faith to soar? The faith is not just one of your to-do lists that you must accomplish, but it is the joy of your life. Don't you want that living faith? So first, we'll talk about the nature of faith and the faith that moves from duty to delight. And lastly, faith that overcomes the world. We are the overcomers. You will see that we are victorious in Christ alone. There is the glorious promise and hope that John is showing. So without further ado, buckle up your seatbelt and let's dive in together. So first, the nature of faith. Here, John, look at how he opens and closes this section, the first five verses. Let's read the first half of verse 1 and dive, jump down to verse 5. Verse 1, it begins by saying, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is the born of God. Verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here John in this section reinforced the main idea that the, as I said at the beginning, the eternal God has become incarnate Son of God. And all those who believe in him are born again. And all those who trust in him, all those who have faith in him, John used those words as synonym. It's faith, believing, trusting, are born of God, and we are overcomers in the world. John is really embarking that theme once again in this section. Why is faith so important in Christian life, church? This is not just John's agenda, but if you read through the Gospels, other Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, constantly talk about faith. Why is that? This is not only agenda for John, but it is the agenda for actually the entire New Testament. And this was the very main agenda for our Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. What do I mean by that? Let me show you two occasions. You know, you know. Jesus is God. He's omniscient, which means all-knowing. So it's really hard to surprise him or amaze him. But there are two occasions in the gospel. The scripture specifically talks about this all-knowing God was marveled, surprised, amazed. What are those two occasions? One of them is found in Matthew chapter 8. In that section, Roman centurion comes to Jesus. Jesus my servant is really sick. Can you please come and heal? Can you please heal him? And Jesus says, all right, let's go. And Roman centurion responds by saying, wait, wait, listen, Jesus, you don't really have to do that. I know who I am. I'm a man under authority. I know who I represent because I represent something greater than I am 
because I represent the Roman Empire, when I just command my servants, they, I don't even have to explain. They listen because they know who I am. So Jesus, I know who you are. People perceive you to be just a miracle worker, miracle performer, but you must be something far greater than what people perceive you to be. So you don't even have to come just to say it, and it shall be done. And listen to what Jesus responded by this Roman centurion. This is what he says in Matthew 8.10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those to following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What Jesus was amazed that this Roman centurion is saying, Jesus, I know who I am and I know you are far more than what people perceive you to be. Just speak and your will shall be done. And Jesus was amazed at his faith. Great faith the scripture talks about. Church, it's hard to amaze Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is not amazed by your knowledge? Jesus is not amazed by how much you know. Oh, Jin, you are so insightful. I am amazed. No, Jesus said that never. Oh, wow, you have incredible security deposits. You have wealth. I am so amazed at you. Jesus said that never, never. Oftentimes, what we want to impress Jesus is our even piety. Jesus, look at how much I serve you. But what really amazed Jesus here is that, wow, this Roman centurion, the incredible faith in Jesus. And there is another occasion the gospel writer writes that Jesus was amazed. That is found in Luke chapter 6. What happens in this section? Excuse me, not Luke chapter 6, but Mark chapter 6. This is Jesus' homecoming. Jesus comes home to his hometown, Nazareth. But when he comes home, he realizes that nobody really welcomes him. So this is what Jesus says. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So two times that even Jesus were amazed. One, Jesus amazed. Jesus was amazed at great faith of Roman centurion. And Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith. What amazes faith is the faith that they have. Now, was Jesus amazed at the amount of faith this Roman centurion showed? Oftentimes, how the world perceives faith is the, as if it's the equivalent of the power of positive thinking, the power of optimism. No, Jesus was not amazed by the amount of faith this Roman centurion showed, but Jesus was amazed at the object of Roman centurion showed. He believes in Jesus. Jesus, I know who you are. You must be far more than what people perceive to be. I know who I am because I represent Roman Empire. Everything I say is just done. I know you, who you are. You must represent God. You are God, and I trust in you. I have faith in you. Speak, and your will shall be done. So today, what is the foundation of your faith? Faith that we have is different from the power of positive thinking. Power of positive thinking, it's based on the wishful expectation of your future turnout. What if your future circumstances don't turn out as you expect? 
Faith is something very different than the positive thinking or optimism. Faith lies in the personhood of Jesus Christ, who he is, who he claims to be. So what I want to ask you today is, we know that intellectually, this is what John says, everyone who believes in what, in who, that Jesus is Christ is born of God, who is the overcomer of the world, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, it's about the person whom you have put your trust in. So, who do you trust today? I know our children are in children's school there, Sunday school, but what is Sunday school answer? Jesus. We say that intellectually, but I want to ask you, what is the functional foundation of your faith? What is the operating foundation of your faith? When I say functional foundation, operating foundation, we know intellectually, of course, Jesus is the foundation of our faith. But when I say functionally, I mean how you gain the meaning of your life. I'll matter. I'll be somebody if only fill the blank. What is that? Power of positive thinking based on the how future will turn out. For me, oftentimes, I realize the productivity. I matter if only I'm productive. I even plan out vacation. These are things that I need to get done. I matter if I can fill that role. Some of you, your foundation is somehow, if my children only turn out well as I hope them to be. What are you going to do when future don't turn out as you hope for? Your positive thinking will not carry you through that. What are you going to do if your foundation of your faith, that very functional, operational foundation of your faith is found in your security deposit, how much you have reserved in your saving account. For some of us, it's the physical health. All those things are great, but what are you going to do when your physical health fades? What are you going to do when you lose your job in this pandemic? What are you going to do if foundation operating faith is based on the approval of the people that you respect? What are they going to do when they reject you? For some of us, the foundation, functional faith is just a love. If only I am loved. If only everything is well. What are you going to do when there's conflict? It will not carry you. But the nature of our faith, the, what John is talking about, that their faith is found in a person of Jesus who is unchanging, who is immutable. So even in the worst circumstances, that faith can withstand all the storms of life. Let me show you who modeled it well. So this letter of John is written approximately 80, 95, 110. Around that time, contemporary, there was a disciple of Apostle John named Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna, which is about the same region where this letter was written for. Polycarp was a pastor in that area. And at the time of Polycarp's life, Roman Empire persecution in that region of Turkey was horrendous. And this Roman Empire considered the gospel as a threat, and their number one goal was to, for Christians who followers of Jesus to denounce Jesus. So they came one after one after one, and they come for Polycarp. And what I'm about to read you is the first martyrdom account outside of the New Testament. So Polycarp was arrested. These people came to arrest Polycarp, the disciples of John, apostles who wrote this letter. And this is what they said to Polycarp. Swear, urged the proconsul. Reproach Christ and I will set you free. And this is how Polycarp responds. 
86 years have I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Polycarp's faith was found not in the future circumstances. Polycarp's faith was not even found in his ability. His foundation is all about his king and his savior, Jesus Christ. So when they are threatening Polycarp to renounce Jesus, Polycarp says, bring it on. You threaten me with this fire, you have no idea about eternal fire. I know where I'm going. Bring it on. That kind of faith, even in death, True faith in the person of Jesus can withstand that. Yes, they tried to burn him. When they didn't succeed him, they pierced him with a dagger. That's how it went for the Lord. But even in death, he did not renounce Jesus. And even through his death, gospel spread it around the world. Do you have this kind of faith that gives you equilibrium? If your faith, functional faith, is based on the circumstances, you have nothing to stand on. Whatever the faith that you have failed you, whether it be the success, whether it be the approval, whether it be the romantic love, what are you going to do when that falters? But when you trust in this immutable, unchanging God, it can withstand all troubles in your life. Now, the question I want to ask you is then, okay, Jin, I guess I must trust in Jesus. That's where my hope is. But is that just another to-do list? It often feels like, oh, I have to do this. It feels like a duty often. How can you make the faith soar? Is that what faith is all about, just another to-do list? No, I think not. Let's continue to look at a second. Faith that moves from duty to delight. Read the second half of verse 1 all the way down to 3. Verse 1b. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his command. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So here John is saying how he understands love is very different from the world. For John, he does not use the word love flippantly. To John, love, as the world understands, is not just intense emotion or the sexual expression. To John, love is the deepest commitment to the whole teaching of the word in itself. Do you have the whole commitment to the teaching of the word to follow his command? Do you really love that? Don't be like our third president, Thomas Jefferson. He had a Bible. He only trusted only what he wanted to. He took out all the miraculous other deeds in the Bible. He only took part of ethical teaching of the word. But no, do you commit yourself the whole teaching of the word in what is revealed in the scripture? For John, he wants that love is not just intensity of emotion, but love is the commitment to follow his teaching, which is to love God and to love others. What the world gets it right, I think, is that do you see how here love moves? It says everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that the love children, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God 
and carrying out his command. Love moves. Love galvanizes into action. Love does something. See, I mean, even the world gets it. A wise man say, only the fools rush in. But Elvis couldn't help falling in love, right? Jack loved Rhodes so much, so he drowned in the cold ocean with the Titanic. Although Jack could have fit on the door, probably. The <laughs> greatest controversy of the movie of all time. Well, millennial, I will not leave you out if you don't know what I'm talking about. Bruno Mars will catch a grenade for you. Bruno Mars will step in front of a train for you. Love moves into action because you're drawn to that person. Love mobilizes you. We talked a lot about the last Sunday. Jake brought us a message to love one another. See, for us, love is not just me and God. We are buzz. No, no, no. Love moves. Loving God results in loving your neighbor. There is no such thing as just you and God forever. It goes on by loving one another. Love moves. See, I won't elaborate further, but love is the essential ethics of Christian community in the New Testament. Love is the essential ethic in Johannine community that John is writing in this chapter. Why is that so important to have love with your faith? Because apart from love, faith without love equals duty. It just feels like, oh, I have to do it. But faith plus love equals delight. How does your faith soar? How does your faith move from just the duty to delight? Love him. Falling in love with him deeper and deeper. Church, it is not a selfish thing to cultivate your faith. Take time to be holy today. What boosts your affection and joy and love for the Lord today? Do whatever it takes. For some of you, it's just talking with your friends about how much you love God. Share life with your friends. Pick up a phone call today. For some of you, it's going on play dates. Do it. For some of you, walk out in the beautiful outside. When you see the nature, you fall in deeper love with God. Take time to be holy. I know you have many chores to be done, but this is your priority. Apart from that, faith without love equals duty. You feel like, okay, I have to come to church. I guess I must have to love God. You drag your feet along, but take time to cultivate your love because true love turns the duty into delight. Okay. Do you want your faith to soar? Take time to be holy and love God. I don't think I can talk about this more than without talking about my grandmother. Um, last January, about 14, 15 months ago, I was pastoring in Princeton, and then I received a sudden phone call from South Korea from my mom, called me and told me, Jen, your grandmother just passed. Um, I loved my grandma. If there was one person whom I could count on praying for me daily was my grandmother. She would always pray for me. Every time I would call her, she lived, I mean, she died in the age of 97. So she lived through the World War, lived through the Korean War. So she doesn't really have much concept about Internet, even though now it's a free phone call. She thought it was very expensive international calls. So she would often say, okay, we got to hang up. It's expensive for you, Jen. But two things she would always tell me was, number one, Jen, I am praying for you daily. Number two, Jen, be a good pastor. She would always told me that every time I struggle, I know my grandmother pray for me, and I know her exhortation in my life. I loved her. So as soon as I received the phone call that my grandmother passed, I flew home. Um, when I went home, 
um, because she lived such a long life. Her pastor emeritus came to do the funeral. And I want to know more about my grandma. So I asked him, hey, pastor, how is my grandmother? And I wrote it down in my journal. This is what I said, the exact word. He said, she was upright. She loved Jesus, her pastor, and her church. And he smiled. That's what I wrote down. Very short thing. See, because she loved Jesus so much, faith was never a duty to her. My grandmother never drove. So she would wake up at 4.30 in the morning every morning, walk 20 minutes to the church, and attended early morning prayer service for 30 years. Every morning she would get up at 4.30 to walk in the church, pray. To her, faith was never a duty but a delight. She get to spend the time with Jesus, and she loves it. Uh, during the eulogy, my uncle says that she read the word about six times a year, entire Bible, six times about a year. We as a church barely read through one time. So my grandmother read the word about 300 times. If I read the word that much through, I'd be a completely different pastor perhaps. But what really got me in her funeral um, was that uh, we got to see the embalming process actually. So her nine children and 20 grandchildren all gathered, including my mom, one of the nine. But while we were embalming her, by grace of God, because she lived such a faithful life before the Lord, all of us, all grandchildren, by grace of God, are, we know Christ as our Savior. What an incredible legacy she left for us. But while they are embalming her, even the pastor who came to the funeral thought it was a church choir because all of us grew up in a church singing five-part harmony. We're just singing. But what really got me, yes, I cried because I loved my grandma, but what got me was not that. We are about to sing our favorite hymn, and then while we are singing her favorite hymn, I realized that my grandmother is preaching even in her death. Listen to lyrics of her favorite hymn because you will immediately recognize it and examine your life with that. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than vain applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I would rather be true to his holy name. Do you know why I was sobbing? Yes, I missed my grandmother. Yes, I was aware of mortality of life as I saw my grandmother's body one more time. But I realized that that was her life. She would rather have Jesus than anything else. For me, I always want string-attached gospel, meaning I want Jesus plus something. I would have Jesus and also silver or gold. I would have Jesus but also riches as well. I would have Jesus and also houses and land, please. That would be nice. But for her, more than anything, Jesus was her sole affection. As a result, faith was never a duty to her. It was a sheer delight to love the Lord and serve the Lord. Church, do you want your faith to soar? Love him. Falling in love with him deeper and deeper because apart from the faith just becomes another morality to do checklist in your life. But when you have this true faith in the person of Jesus Christ alone, when the circumstances fail you, even in death, 
you will still praise God because your faith is realized when you see him face to face. Do you have this kind of faith? So first, we talked about the nature of faith, how it found in the person of Jesus. And second, how does the faith move from duty to delight? Lastly, third, faith that overcomes the world. Read verse 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is incredible. Here, John is not saying everyone is overcomer. But what does he say? Everyone who believes in God, everyone born of God are overcomers of the world. It's not that we have ability on our own to overcome the world, but because our crucified Savior, through his death, he has overcome the world. When we believe in him, because Jesus has overcome, now we are more than conquerors. We are victorious. We are overcomers. We are in the offense, church. Take heart. People often say, world is the greatest threat to the gospel. No, it's not. The gospel is the greatest threat to the world. We move forward. We are in the offense. We are victorious, not because we have any ability on our own, but because our Savior laid down his life for us, and he is the overcomer whom we believe in. Do you know him? Do you have this kind of victorious faith that overcomes the world, church? If you're struggling with that today, church, may I give you a real picture of how this looked like? Faith that overcomes. It was about 15 years ago. I lived in Israel for three months, taking a summer course there. So I lived in the kibbutz, a Jewish collective community at the time. Um, and then my job, I got to do a lot of things in the Jewish community. Um, but my dream, one of my lifelong dreams, I always wanted to be a shepherd. I know we have John Shepherd as our pastor. I always wanted to be like Shep. <laughs> I always wanted to be a shepherd. So I was, when I was in Israel, we had, a, we had a shepherd in our kibbutz. So I told Gilly, his name was Gilly. Gilly, I always wanted to be a shepherd. Can you please teach me? I would love to learn. So for the three months, I got to shadow Gilly. And I taught his little daughter, five-year-old, how to swim. So it worked out nicely. Gilly was very humorous, very witty. So I got along great and learned a lot about how to shepherd sheep. But when I, it's amazing, when I approach the pen, sheep, they don't even move. But sheep really know their shepherd voice. When Gilly approaches them, entire sheep become rattled. They know it's food time. They know their shepherd's voice. It's incredible to me. Many things I learn, I won't bore you with all the details. But one day, we are having, Gilly and I are having dinner together. And after dinner, Gilly was like, Jim, let's go check on sheep, see how they're doing. So he got on his golf cart and went to the pen. And then when we got there, we immediately realized something was terribly wrong. He had about four or five sheepdogs, and the, right in front of a pen, there was one of his beloved sheepdogs that found dead in front of it. This humorous, witty Gilly Olson turned complete red. I'm like, uh-oh, something's happening. We opened the pen, went inside, and here is the, where the sheep are. Here a pen, walkway to the sheep. There's another dog was dead on the ground. There's another sheepdog was dead on the ground. And I'm like, whoa, what is happening? And then I soon realized what was happening. I've never seen that big of a snake in my life. There was a 12 for massive snake on the ground killing one sheepdog, another sheepdog, another sheepdog. These sheepdogs laid down their life for the cause of their shepherd. And these sheep, the snakes are approaching the sheep. Sheep don't know what to do. They are just go going to the corner. 
Gilly, I mean, he loved his sheepdogs and saw three of his sheepdogs dead on the ground. He just told me, Jin, this is not how you handle snake. Never do this, but I just have to do it. He goes on, grabs the massive snake by tail, and the swings it from top to bottom. He was so much, hits the head on the ground. That monster snake won't die. Tried to bite Gilly back. Take one quick step back, and he's like, I don't care if I die, you die, I die. Grabs the tail once again, swings from top to bottom. Head, explosion, snake dies. And we took care of dog's dead body. We are coming back, and Gilly doesn't talk. He's so mad, he's crying because he's just lost his beloved sheep dogs. And I'm trying to process what just happened. <laughs> and I went to bed thinking, you know, church, the metaphors are a little too literal for me. Sheep, serpent, shepherd, what does that mean? But then I realized, church, I'm like that sheep. I often don't know what to do. The world is approaching, and I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do. But our shepherd will come back. He is the overcomer. He will crush the serpent's head one day. We have this victorious faith in Christ alone because he is the conqueror who conquered the world for us. Perhaps some of you feel like sheepdog. God, I'm trying to live for you, and I have to lay down my life. Would you be faithful to his cause, even though it might require your life? Faith does not mean prosperity. There are a lot of times that because of your faith, you might have to suffer. And there are a lot of times you just don't know what to do. But wait for the coming of the shepherd. When our shepherd, ultimate shepherd, comes back, he will crush the serpent's head. And we are victorious because we know him. So church, take heart today. Our Jesus, who has overcome the world, will come and make all things right. Do you have this kind of faith in Christ alone? He is our captain. He is the captain of our soul, and he will crush serpent's head one day. So till that day, hold on to your faith. Make your faith soar by loving him more and deeper today. May the Lord go with you as you walk this journey of faith and love in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Oh, God. Often I feel like uh, those sheepdogs that often get beaten by the world trying to live for you. God, I often feel like that sheep just didn't know what to do in the coming of that huge snake. I am fearful. But, oh God, so I look to you, crucified and risen Savior who crushed the serpent's head. God, Maybe there are some of us who have gathered here whose faith has been faltering, who has been wandering, not knowing where to go. Oh, God, would you grab hold of their heart today? And some of us here, just faith feels like duty. While John said that his commands are not burdensome, his commands have been very burdensome because it's just a duty to us. For some of us like that, would you allow us to fall in deeper love with you? that our faith may soar. God, even faith, we cannot do that on our own. So we look to you for hope and guidance today. Jesus, reign in our heart. Jesus, who conquered the grave, Lord, continually reign in our hearts. We look to you. Help us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In your name we pray. Amen.